0: The Huskies Warming House podcast is also brought to you by The SodaPod, home of MNCAA College Hockey News and more. Stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week. Find them on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other podcast platforms. And welcome into episode 176 here in the den. Nick Max, and Noah Grant here at the tail end of August, Nick. And we move our attention back uh over to the men's side of things here, of course, Uh, another team that has pushed their place into the home spots in the NCHC for this episode. So really excited to kind of get into the nitty gritty of that, a team that was in this position in terms of a home spot last season, really excited to talk about this group that again, we've kind of mentioned multiple times that like, it just feels like it's a team that ends up going under the radar somehow. I, I don't really know how that's possible in the NCHC, but I guess,
1: yeah, I mean they their numbers have never been spectacular in terms of win or loss, right? And we'll we'll touch on some of the details. They've had some really good talent come through that program, uh, but just not something that jumps off the page, right? So I think they've have kind of flown under the radar and you know as we talk about last year it's almost amazing that we don't talk about it more but then again too, you know it doesn't help that uh you know, haven't had much success past uh, the regular season and certainly into the ncaa tournament certainly not trying to take anything away from the program but that doesn't necessarily yeah. help your your national stand you know standings per se
0: Yeah, and a team that has kind of really started to find success in recent years, I think is fair to say. They've had a couple of good cores that have stuck around through some COVID years and really uh, pushed that development process in the right direction. Again, almost a similar vein. We'll talk about this close to almost St. Cloud State and their development plan, the way that they recruit a little bit with some of their prospects as well, too. So we'll touch on that. Uh, Starting the show, by the way, when we hit the main portion of the show, I just kind of a tough week overall at the tail end of August here in the hockey world. A lot of unfortunate news uh, coming from the broadcasting booth, from the, the draft side of things, the prospect side of things as well, too. Uh, and even dipping into some college hockey news in the NCHC. That's some tough news uh, that we'll kind of touch on, but all pertinent information. So we start, as always, with the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup ice View News and Notes, presented, of course, by HuskiesIllustrated.com and The Soda Pod center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com episode 176 here in the den nick Max and noah grant here for another episode here before we get to the team spoiler alert the western michigan broncos in the nchc excited to talk about them nick we do have some uh notes that we have to kind of touch on that aren't exactly the most exciting unfortunately i suppose nick probably the the best place to start here i uh, is probably in the NCHC. Unfortunately, I. I some tough news coming out this past week here related to the Duluth Bulldogs and actually a prospect that we ended up covering in this similar vein, actually, when we were talking about incoming freshmen and possible prospects for the Bulldogs, Nick, uh, who are we talking about and uh, what's going on for the Bulldogs? Uh, Will Francis, right. defenseman, um, unfortunately
1: announced to via social media uh, back on the 21st, essentially that uh, his cancer had returned. Um, this is tough, man. I mean, mm-hmm. All things aside, right? You know, I know that every day more of us, in terms of you know, shall we say, humanity, is uh, more impacted by cancer in some indirect or direct way. Uh, it's it's not fun, right? Now, a uh, lot of people will be supporting him, of course. Uh, don't know uh, at least initially what the you know uh, outlook is. I, I would believe he probably will be taking some time aside as he tries to figure out what's best for him and certainly for all, like all of us here, especially us two at the Huskies Gorman House podcast, you know, send our thoughts and our support to both Will Francis as well as the entire Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs organization. Um, I know I just, you work in this field, right. And it's, you know, you you see sort of the, you know, sometimes both worlds of the, you know, of the, of humanity per se. And, you know, these are the storylines that I don't think anybody wants to talk about, um, But at the end of the day, right, I mean, uh, he's a strong kid. I'm sure he'll persevere, and it's just just unfortunate, really.
0: Yeah, it is unfortunate, of course. Uh, For those who were curious about kind of just some of the more details, ALL is the abbreviation acute lymphoblastic leukemia, uh, and it's a leukemia that, uh, you know, if aggressively managed, uh, usually doesn't – go into relapse or when it does, uh, 50% of the patients, when they relapse, they tend to make that secondary recovery that ends up being successful, but it's one of those that you want to be able to catch it early. Like they did back in 2020, because if it's not caught, it can be really aggressive very quickly. So, um, and kind of, uh, I, I guess in a, in a general, in a general sense, um, basically it's, uh, if you think of the word lymph for lymphoma anything like that lymphocytic things basically it's talking about your immune system your white blood cells kind of how our bodies fight infections uh, and ALL essentially creates mutations and genetic changes where um, they're kind of immature white blood cells essentially so the body is still producing these cells but they're immature and they cause more issues than than helping like normal white blood cells do so that's kind of what he's dealing with right now um plan hopefully for him maybe uh return to campus maybe this upcoming january and trying to get back on the ice after they go through the process again um of course he completed his last therapy 848 days for him july 2022 so obviously a long process for the chemotherapy routine so um he played last season, 28 games for the Bulldogs, uh, had a single assist, uh, for him last year, Anaheim ducks draft pick, a late round draft pick as well too. So wishing him the best, obviously just not fun, uh, things to talk about, of course, but, uh, um, like you said, a great support sy- system around him. And unfortunately, um, the Bulldogs have had a kind of a string of things in recent years with some of their players on the men's side, just some tough news that they've really had to kind of persevere from. So, uh, as much as we like to give Bulldogs fans a hard time, obviously really wishing that program the best, especially their student athletes as they go through this difficult time. Uh, another, uh, group that's been, uh, really kind of struggling with loss here. Um, uh, Rodian Amarov, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, draft choice uh, uh, first rounder, I believe 15th overall a couple of years ago and a very good prospect for them also ending up passing away as well. Nick, um, you know, uh, f- for this kind of process, we talked about this a little bit in maybe a slight comparison with Marco Rossi um, and the challenges that he had um, uh, related to COVID, for example, these health scares for some of these young players, especially as we had the discussion a couple weeks ago about development camps and the process and what it takes to be kind of a full-time NHL or in a full-time professional hockey player here. We've just had some difficult stories come out in recent years. And for Toronto Maple Leafs fans and hockey fans around the world, Nick, this is certainly no exception.
1: No. And uh, I think, you know, just to make sure we're clear, you know, we're not directly comparing, you know, the situations yeah. between Rosie and, um, Rodian Amaroff, right? Because one's a brain tumor, the other, um, is, it's still heart, you know, serious conditions with, with the heart with Rosie. But it's tough, right? Because it's, it's one thing to, you know, what's the best way to phrase it, right? Where you're going through the motions, you're going through the process and, um, you know, for those who have followed our podcast a little bit know of my history as, you know, as having someone very, very close to me go through it. And, you know, as as a, as, I don't want if you want to call it, use the term spectator. But I think what you can what you can relate to is, you know, it's, it's hard to watch, too. Right. Yeah. And so you when you think about the Maple Leafs organization, you know, the prospects, the players currently, the, you know, the development coaches. I mean, there's so many people that you touch as an athlete. Um, and to effectively have you know a, a young life cut short, right? I mean, let's again hang up the sticks here for a second. Um, it's tough, right? Because you are just you never know, you know how these things can turn out. Um, in the grander scheme of things, you know, since we're on the topic, right? You know, it's just it's a reminder too that you know not a single one of us is guaranteed tomorrow, and you know it's it's storylines like these that. You know, or, or just sometimes very tough to swallow, and way too young. You know, as again as you mentioned a couple of years ago, a first round pick for the Maple Leafs. Uh, just you know, call it unfair. You know, if if you want, yeah. I think that's fair. Um, to to mention that, you know, it it sucks, um, and certainly again as we said for Bulldogs, faithfully wish uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs organization their prospects, and certainly the family and friends of. Um, Rodian Amaroff the best as they go through this very, very difficult time.
0: Yeah, and I think you kind of mentioned the drawn-out process sometimes, too. It's a, There's never easy way to handle this news, but sometimes when you have that additional process as well, it makes it difficult. Last one on the list here, but not least, of course, a very long and fulfilling life in the game of hockey, but a two-year battle with multi-organ failure uh, has ended the life of Rick Ginnaret at the age of 81. Of course, Buffalo Sabers namesake basically since the inception of the team, I believe, since year two for him uh, in the press box until his retirement uh, in the previous year and change or so. Um, Some of the most iconic calls in hockey history, Buffalo Sabres history, voice and face of that franchise as far as radio broadcasting media was concerned. And they had a fantastic ceremony for him uh, recently. And, I mean, you think about some of the calls that he's had and, you know, the highway robbery calls and the mayday call. You'll never forget plays like that. I mean, it's just so many great memories, especially in kind of the golden days of the Buffalo Sabres era. And, you know, hockey is huge in buffalo especially just especially when that franchise was at its peak in the 80s 90s early 2000s even and he was there for it all you know encapsulating every single moment for sabers fans nick obviously for us too as broadcasters it kind of has an extra bit of touch knowing what he brought to the table literally and figuratively so uh yeah this one you know it Little bit more interesting because you know he was 81 years old, but nonetheless, still really disheartening for a guy who had a very storied career in the game of hockey.
1: There is no way that any hockey fan that has listened to any hockey highlights, whether it's YouTube or whatnot, has not heard the voice of Rick Johnaret. There just isn't, right? Uh, you mentioned the Mayday call. Um, uh, so one of my favorite kind of goal calls that he had was when Jason Pominville was with the mm-hmm. Buffalo Sabres population of Pommonville will go up by one more. Right. Um, he just, he had a very creative and just very he had fun with it. Right. Yeah. And I think, and he just let it go. Right. And I think for, even for me as brought as a broadcaster, right. You, you can kind of pick away from, from Rick, you know, that just that, I don't know. I don't want, I don't want if I characterize a careless energy, but just, you know, he just, he, he sold it. Right. He, he loved that team. He loved that community. Um, and as a broadcaster, just as you mentioned, just, you know, just had that very distinctive style and call that, you know, just like I said, you know, there's just no way that as a fan, you haven't heard his voice. So that one stinks because, again, you're when you when you're with an organization for you know half a century, essentially, right, you become woven into the fabric of uh, the city, that team. I mean, it's almost like a grandfather passing away. It really it kind of feels that way. Um, To that organization. So again, that one's tough. Um, Again, for John, he's beloved by so many, of course, his family, his friends, the organization, the community, and no question the NHL community as a whole, right? Uh, One of the more legendary broadcasters uh, gone, we can say way too soon, even though it was 81, but certainly too bad to see him go.
0: Yeah. I think one of the most uh, enlightening comments that we saw from a fan last week too (laughs) ended up putting it out on social media. It is scientifically impossible to make a Stu Barnes goal call as good as he did rest in peace. And I think that that's,
1: (laughs) that pretty much nails it actually. Um, But, but that that's was, he had infectious energy is really what it came down to. He really did. Um, And it did. And I think, that almost, you know, in, a, in such a micro, you know, economic way showed you that it didn't matter if it was the star player on the team or a Stu Barnes-like candidate. He made you sound like you were a freaking all-star when you scored a goal and that. I think that energy with no matter what happened on the ice is what made him, you know, such a intricate and well-respected broadcaster across not only the NHL, but I think across sports broadcasting as a whole.
0: Yeah, certainly would agree, obviously. And, um, you know, trying to make an impact on the game as we move forward here, a couple of players, by the way, before we get to Western Michigan on the men's side, if you're a St. Cloud State Huskies fan, by the way, uh, Netminder Jojo Choback and standout forward Emma Gentry, by the way, both representing the Huskies at the USA national festival last week. Um, some really good uh, kind of summertime shenanigans for a lot of these St. Cloud State women's hockey players. Looks like they're making the most of their summertime plans and, uh kind of just a more positive spin before we move into uh the men's portion of things also uh i Maybe just a spin, too. By the way, again, we kind of referenced the development piece that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. A lot of them making sure they take time off for at least a month or so in the summer. I think, again, good lesson for young hockey players to kind of make sure that they have that good, quote-unquote, work-life balance when it comes to playing the game. So good to see the Huskies well represented on the national level um, and seeing their success. Anything you kind of wanted to to touch on there, Nick? I know you obviously saw it well before I did. but And we've kind of actually – um have seen tidbits here and there. Actually, the WCHA, especially on the women's side, has done a really good job covering not only the Huskies, but all of their teams and some of their student athletes that have really been doing some interesting things over the course of the summer.
1: Uh, well, it's a big representation for the WCHA yeah. group, right? Um, Percentage wise, quite a bit. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, when, when I saw the news, I mean, going back to last season with Brian Idolsky and, you know, sort of you know, putting in his systems and and getting his first impressions. And Emma Gentry was a player that immediately caught his eye when I've had conversations with Idolsky. Um, He still to this day thinks that Emma Gentry is underrated. And it's kind of nice to see that she, I'm not going to say that she isn't underrated, but she's getting noticed, right? Um, She's got a big frame. She works hard. She's got speed. And I think one thing that, We saw last year, Noah, that I think really you talk about progression, we talk about development. That's been kind of the the hot words of the last few weeks is her hockey IQ. Is on this, you yeah. know, right? Um, she just knows when to make the right play. She drives to the net at times, you know, just trying to get that puck into the dangerous areas. She just makes the right decisions at the right times, and so I think, you know, when you're doing those small things, right, it comes down to details. And you know, USA Hockey is taking notice, and then all of a sudden you're on the roster representing your country. That's a heck of an honor. It's a heck of a you know, a small list of players that, you know, sometimes even make their prospect list. So congratulations to both of those players representing St. Cloud state women's hockey and uh, for themselves was a great personal accomplishment and had a pretty
0: good showing for both of them as well. Yeah. Good luck beating Jojo show too, by the way, you got to wonder, yeah. by the way, I, I mean, I don't know. Ten pucks, Emma Gentry versus Jojo Choback. I mean, shootout. Mano Imano. I mean, who, who 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 wins that battle? I like I, you, I I almost tend to maybe give the edge to the goaltender unless the shooter gets a chance to make him bite, kind of thing. But you never really know. I,
1: yeah, and at the end of it, you know, when you see a player, you know. On both sides, right? There's a little bit of a book, right? I think you, you get to know maybe some tendencies from one side or the other, right? Um, if you put these both together and they've never seen each other before, I think obviously the edge goes maybe to the shooter. But yeah. um, you know, I think the goaltender here with uh, JoJo Chobak, who was uh, um, she's pretty good. We'll put it yeah. lightly, um, I think may have uh, you know, because as a goaltender, if you can kind of control. Uh, the speed and the pace of a shootout in that sort of sense, you can sort of, you know, maybe give and take mm-hmm. away some options and no question with Jojo chowback um, one of the best goaltenders in women's collegiate hockey. I think she may have a, a, a leg up, uh, there on Gentry. Although I think if we asked Emma she may, uh, may not agree with that
0: take. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I mean, if you end up if you end up beating back once or twice, then uh, maybe Sonia Hola comes in and just makes your life an additional nightmare yeah. if you're shooting on some Huskies netminders. St. Cloud, obviously, on the up and up, we're going to get a chance to talk about them in a couple of weeks. And uh, hint, hint, their goaltending is definitely a strong suit. <laughs> has been for a while,
1: right? And that's, and I think you know, as we've covered this team Noel, for the better part of you know four seasons or so, that's always been the strength of the Huskies. Um, it's now how can they build, you know, the talent in front, and shall we say, when we get to that conversation, it's a much different looking squad, even from just three hundred and sixty-five days ago, um, and that's. Yeah. And- positive light and it's certainly going to be a very fun conversation when we do get to talking about the huskies
0: absolutely would agree also speaking of fun conversations again we continue to kind of leave them in the dark in their own little corner we're going to pull them into the spotlight the limelight here this week the western michigan broncos nick a team that finished second very quietly by some weird accounts in the nchc last year right now we have them at four um and it's not really necessarily uh, by their own accord, so to speak. It might just be the fact that the NCHC continues to get stronger and stronger. Here's a team that, again, we have them at four, but they could finish in a much different spot than that, Nick. Who do we have? Western Michigan is who we have. Um yeah. Finished at
1: a modest twenty through fifteen and one. I'd say modest as obviously a joke. Uh fifteen eight and one in the NCHC conference, right? Um, but the the issue with Western Michigan was is that they had a really good start to the season and then uh Shelby said they got kind of got cold at the wrong time, or is really what happened to them. Um was very very good uh, last year again under Pat Um Offense again was there. Uh, loss in Lunatics again was a very tough place to play. Always is. Yeah. Uh, but just got the sense that once they got towards mid February, towards early March, for whatever reason, they just they had a stretch and it was just the wrong time for them to have that stretch um, and just weren't really able to recover from it. Um, so yeah, it was it was tough because it, it almost cost them an NCAA bid essentially.
0: Yeah. And a weird thing, like you mentioned, I mean, it was pretty much last year, the NCHC was Denver and then everybody else. Right. But I mean, Western Michigan at 44, Omaha at 42, St. Cloud at 41, capping off your top four. And I mean, a very tightly contested. We expect it to be that way again through the top four uh, in the NCHC, maybe even a little bit closer to that top spot as well, too. But I mean, like you mentioned, the loss in Lunatics. 3,667 is the seating capacity, but it feels about twice that size in terms of the energy that they bring in that building. Nick, I mean, one of the best, not in terms of the the structure and the accommodations for the arena, but I mean, as as far as the crowd inside of it, I mean, it bringing a lot of energy and a weird start. Remember, Nick, um, we had this conversation the start of October. They had a 3-1 to loss against Alaska Anchorage, and this was a game that, I mean, they outshot Anchorage, like quadrupled up on shots against them and somehow lost that hockey game and um, had an interesting start to the season. Like you mentioned, they lose to Notre Dame swept a pair of games against Michigan, tightly contested games against the Wolverines dropped a game against Duluth um, and St. Cloud through the middle of November. And then really the month of December was a tough one a four game losing streak. Omaha and North Dakota, respectively started to get it back together. Like you mentioned in the second half, a little bit Uh, losses against Omaha sweep, against against Denver, and then, yeah, the way that it really came off the rails is they get swept in the quarterfinals against Colorado College, and that shock uh, finished there. Matthew Gleason, the overtime winner on that Saturday game, and then they get trounced 5-1 to one against BU. It wasn't even a contest, so a quiet whimper for a team that finished very high uh, in the NCHC, like you mentioned. Uh, team-wise, again, I mean, they were 15-8-1 in the conference Uh, One goal contest, though, four and five, not a team that you would expect to maybe finish second in the conference with that result. Uh, Three and five when trailing after the first three, 12 and one after the second period. So obviously getting off to a, a lead was important. And when I say lead, I mean it in the sincerest sense, Nick, six and six after the first win tied four and two after the second period. So, I mean, it's not like they were necessarily in control of games if they didn't start. Hot, so to speak. They had to get out to a lead for this group. So, um, I mean, as we kind of go through the statistics here, Nick, they outscored their opponents heavily. They they, you know, outshot their opponents by 202. Um, goals per game were you know over a point or a goal per game over their opponents. They did a lot of things right. Um, PK was at 76%, which is not the greatest, but I mean, power play inching towards 24%. I mean, a lot of things going right for this team. What really was it about this Broncos team that they had these stretches where they didn't have traction and then ultimately at the end of the season just kind of disappeared into the wayside?
1: Um, really, it came down to being top-heavy um, as far as their offensive production concerned. Mind you, Jason Pullen led the nation with 30 goals last year, um, who's had moved on to bigger and better things. But um, you take away him, Ryan McAllister, Max Sazon, Luke Granger – And Zach Galambos, they were the only players that had double-digit goals scored. Everybody else was below the 10 mark. So to me, if they were able – I shouldn't say they, but if their opponents were able to sort of control those five players – Western Michigan struggled right now granted at times you know their special teams kind of bailed them out now we could go into a little bit more in depth of that and see that some of these players also had power play goals but really that's what it came down to was if they're able to sort of contain some of these players their bottom six or some of their role players weren't really there to kind of bring up the offensive punch
0: well you also mentioned the power play too Nick and uh, throw that in with Jamie Rome who had six power play goals in, in a year where he only had nine total tucks as a graduate forward that's 20 20- 28 power play goals for them, 22 of those coming from those top guys, McAllister, Poland, Sasson, and Granger, and the defenseman, Zach Galambos. Other than that, you have one, two, three, four, five, only six other power play goals not coming from that top group. So power play production, obviously, for the big trio, and then a couple of guys rounding out that top unit. But other than that, Nick, like you mentioned, when it kind of came to even strength, it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, it's not that they weren't driving possession, but they didn't again have that killer finish necessarily. Besides those top high-end guys, now they're moving their feet, they're drawing opportunities, they're creating power play opportunities, especially in the first half, like you mentioned. But with a lot of these guys, besides Ryan McAllister, I mean, uh, Jason Polen, like you mentioned, leaving, I uh, you know, they do return a lot of these guys, but it's you know, it's hard to replicate that. It's hard to replicate that power play success. I mean, thirteen goals. You know, like you mentioned, uh, 15 for Max Sasson. Uh, Luke Ranger had 12. Zach Galambos had 11 from the back end, which very curious to see if he can get anywhere close to that on the back end. Right. Not to say they can't do it again, but. It's hard to replicate those things year in and year out in the NCHC. I mean, do you feel like this forward group has the potential to do it, or do you feel like it's going to be more of an uphill battle for those returners? There's a
1: lot of question marks now, mind you. You know, we're going to talk, you know, additions and transfers. One of them is uh, Matteo uh, Costatini, right from North Dakota, who had a really good freshman campaign and then just sort of disappeared in his sophomore uh, season. So, looking for him to bounce back, he has the tools to be an offensive firepower, yeah. um, you know, for the Bron. Broncos, but again, it's kind of a show me season. So there's a lot of question marks surrounding this Western Michigan offense. Now mind you, over the past shall we say three, four years ago when this team was still primarily coached by Andy Murray, they lacked a lot of the same offensive firepower, but they won with grit and just being a physical team, right? They still have that. And that's part of why they have kind of been that quiet team is that, you know, they Jason Pollan, again, sort of caught national headlines because of his 30-goal season. Uh, but beyond that, the rest of the team didn't really get a whole lot of, shall we say, like recognition for being a second place team and arguably one of the toughest conferences in all of college hockey. Uh, this year is going to be a bit different, right? Cause you don't have Poland, you don't have McAllister, you don't have Sazon, right? They've all signed pro contracts, but at the end of the day, you do have a pretty, hefty freshman class coming in uh, that's got some pretty good offensive talent. but you do kind of wonder does Western Michigan have to kind of maybe take a page out of maybe some of their uh, maybe their earlier years to be a little bit more of that physical presence again we know how tough it is to play uh, there in Kalamazoo at Lawson Arena. Uh, maybe that's what they will have to resort to early as some of these young kids, are assimilating within the lineup, but I would imagine, knowing uh, that the offensive production is going to take a step back,
0: but let's yeah. not forget defensively, they've been very good too. You know, what's interesting. You talked about this, by the way, eight, eight, and one, Nick, any idea what statistic that defines? One goal games. That's actually their home record. In Kalamazoo last season, they were 12 and six on the road, three and one in neutral sites, two, two and one in overtime, by the way. But like we mentioned, four and five in one goal games. When they were outshot, they had a very mighty losing record. And like we said, when they weren't jumping out, here's the thing, Nick Um, first and third periods, very great 48 to 29 in the first, 54 to 27 in the third, dead even in overtime, 44 to 44 in the second period. So again, it seemed like that middle frame, if they weren't in control of the hockey game, Games started to get away from them, and they weren't able to pull away, like you mentioned. Good defensively, but again, good defensively, obviously very important, but doesn't necessarily translate to winning hockey games. At some point, that offensive punch has to come, and it seemed like when the special teams battle wasn't being won on top of the five-on-five defensive battle, Suddenly they started to slip up a little bit. We started to see the cracks in the armor against a team like CC who really had nothing to lose and pushed themselves from a seventh place spot all the way to a frozen faceoff championship game against St. Cloud. I mean, this is a very challenging conference with a lot of desperate hockey and it seemed like Western Michigan for us quietly as they ascended into second place, they as equally and as quietly disappeared as well too. And I think for them, making a lot more noise, like you mentioned in the Andy Murray era Andy Murray era where yeah they didn't have that offensive punch, but boy what a blue collar style you were going to get hard, heavy, physical. Every time you went into a corner um, at Kalamazoo, you were going to hear those boards rattle because someone was getting hit. And I think that um, as much as we want to talk about supplementing that offense, I think just getting back to that gritty presence too, as well, too, you said they brought a lot of it last year. I totally agree with you. I think if it's possible, even bring more because in those tight hockey games, those games in the quarterfinals against CC, you know, games, ncaa tournament you don't lose five to one or you go down swinging a little bit more you don't have to rely solely on that offense you know bring a little bit of that magic that got western michigan into the ncaa sheet that was that blue collar gritty style of play i think we need to see a little bit more of that in some of these tightly contested games as they move forward into the season and that's where it kind of has us in that boat of okay offensively they were really great last year they bring a lot of the same returners what if some of those guys start to struggle Is that effort level on the gritty side, the fundamentals of the game, are they going to supplement that if they start to struggle and start to need to be winning games 2-1,
1: 3-2? Yeah, and I think, you know, to a fault, right? Now, when I say to a fault, because the physical battle, right, we talk about their penalty kill and how not very good, 76%. Sometimes, if it's not controlled physicality, right, where sometimes you're chasing a bit too much or maybe trying to, maybe establish your physical presence a bit of bit too much, right? I think that kind of bit them a little bit at some times. Um, and as you mentioned, it happened when the offense was drying up, they were trying to create um, momentum in different ways. And that's the right thing to do as a hockey team, right? You're trying to drive possession. You're trying to establish yourself and play the game in the offensive side of the, of the ice, right? But at times, with Western Michigan and, and some of those old school or you know, going back, like you said, to the blue-collar style, I, I think sometimes know almost sort of shot themselves in the foot a bit. So um, yeah. there's a lot of turnover this year also with Western Michigan. Uh, Pat Firstweiler has uh, sort of been rising as one of the better coaches in the yes. NCHC. And again, also very quietly uh, for Pat Firstweiler, Now mind you... Back to back NCAA appearances also won an NCAA uh, game for the first time in their history a year ago. So, I mean, this program has had made some strides, right? It's gotten some, uh, shall we say, up to the next level. But can it be sustained? This is a test for them this year. I think it's curious that we have them this high because we sort of expect there to be more of a a balanced roster, I think. Yes, it's going to be youthful, but I think we also appreciate the coaching staff. I really think, and we'll touch on them in more detail here in a second, but I really feel like Western Michigan right now with first Weiler at the helm has really sort of been able to mold that right balance of physicality plus that offensive skill set while being as a unit being defensively responsible. It's a very very thin balance to have and over the past couple of years, he's he's been able to get that out of his teams and a big reason why we have him up close to the top of the NCHC.
0: Yeah, you know, make no mistake about it. Yes, we have them dropping from second to fourth. They could easily finish third. They could easily finish second. I mean, I think it's going to be a dogfight, truly and honestly in that mix here. I think really honestly anywhere from maybe third to sixth potentially even. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that could really swing here in the NCHC. You mentioned Pat Firstweiler Only in his third year Year. of course second stand originally hired by Jeff Blaschel if you remember that name if you're a Detroit fan by yeah. the way um Andy Mariri of course uh hung on to him back-to-back NCAA appearances for him of course best finish in program history last season by the way so it really puts a damper on an otherwise really great season um because they just weren't able to close and I think if they were able to maybe get to the second round of the NCAAs and you know push into the NCHC frozen faceoff. It's a much different story for us here, but I think just the end of the season left a lot to be desired. Um, you know, and then a great crew around him, Jason Herter, of course, former UMD Bulldog uh, in terms of his coaching tenure as well, too. Um, five-time NCAA tournament appearances for him before uh, JJ crew, obviously coming in June of 2020 was his higher date, good player development player, um, graduate assistant at Ohio as well, by the way. Um, Jared Brown, uh, the newest addition. Of course, he just joined uh, in July of 2023. Great last name for the team colors, by the way. I'll just yeah. throw, that, throw that one out there. Uh, no last horse, No horsing around there. <laughs> and that's our show. Um, yeah, it's right. uh, so, last three seasons for him in the usual in the Null. Cedar Rapids in the usual was his stopover as well. Uh was in New Mexico with the Ice Wolves in, in the Null. I... T- <laughs> that was so bad. That was it like was that so was bad. like Noah Grant bad. That um, was that, that was bad. that was a tough one. Uh, what wasn't <laughs> bad though? Former Bronco netminder Will Massey again volunteering with uh, the the goaltending uh, duties as well for the assistant coaches. Nick, um, great coaching crew again. Again, they always seem to have this quiet mix that seems to get the job done every year. Now. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of turnover for this group Nick. Obviously, you only have four bodies that are on their way out um, as transfers, right? There's other ones that right, have signed, right. But yeah, not a ton of players leaving
1: that are still playing college hockey.
0: And the reality is, I mean, I guess if we want to just jump into it, the only, you know, notable one, uh, Northern Michigan picking up Jack Purbix, of course, Uh, he had 13 points last year. Otherwise, Lucas Mata, Barrett Brooks, uh, Will Hamley, a defenseman forward and a goaltender respectively, did not see much ice time, if any. So, um, you know, really, they're trying to supplement more offense, which this Bronco team, um, they're bringing in a lot of bodies here, Nick, but. Um, again, I, I think I just, and we'll kind of flesh this out as we go through, but I want to qualify again. We talked about, yes, this team still finished second in the NCHC last season by a narrow margin, but they still did. Um, and again, we have them down at fourth and they're not losing a lot. And by all accounts, as we're going to get to, they're bringing in a lot of really great offense and some really great players. So, I mean, I guess for those who are wondering, because I'm sure they were enlightened by our Duluth selection at seven. Why number four for the Broncos here with all this going on? Cause I think just the way that they play the game, right.
1: I think, They're not like a Scott Sandlin squad where, you know, it's defense first and then, you know, if you can supplement offense, great, right? Uh, Western Western Michigan comes at you. They really do. They drive the puck down your throat. Um, They don't have any, uh, shall we say, hesitation to go in and be physical in the corners. Uh, But they also have scoring touch, too. Um, and so, like I said, they're kind of this nice hybrid team that can kind of do it all, right? They don't have, besides Paul and last year, they don't really have that one guy, especially this uh, upcoming season that's going to maybe stick out. Like, this is going to be the guy that's going to be, um, we're going to be looking forward to, you know, produce on offense. It's going to be a team by committing, I think. That scares us a little bit, if we're going to be completely honest with you, right? Because if you if you have to essentially you know rely on that team approach, and there's still a lot of skill, and we're going to talk about that um, here in a, in a minute, um, this team could be very balanced up and down the lineup, um, and I think that's the big thing in goaltending, um, which they're going to be returning a couple of folks. Uh, that's set in stone. So i I'm, I think for for the most part, we're talking about Western Michigan. They are just they're a different animal because they just. There's not really a drop off between line, the top six versus the bottom six, especially on offense. Um, it, it's just that you have to kind of be prepared for everything all at the same time. Um, again, we talked about the one knock being the PK. Um, I'm sure they'll probably sort that out a little bit, but they're a dangerous squad because, again, it's it's more by committee than it is by, shall I say, top six versus bottom six.
0: Yeah, and of course, you're losing, like you mentioned, some of those seniors that are on their way out as well, too. Not a lot of graduate players that are deciding to hang on, but, um, you know, other players that will decide. But, I mean, when you look at this incoming class, that also indicates a lot of turnover for us, too, Nick. And, um, you know, you have, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six players that are going to end up coming in as true freshmen. And then you have four actual transfers that are coming in as well, too. Uh, any curiosity out of curiosity nick is there any place that you want to that you want to start as far as this list is concerned do we want to start with the transfers because we already talked about uh costatini right because
1: with north dakota we talked about how he really is an x factor to this squad i think that a change of scenery is probably best for him again kind of sprung out of the scene he was dangerous at the puck as a freshman with the fighting hawks and then just really struggled last year um now mind you he's one of 14 players at the Decided to say goodbye to the Fighting Hawks organization, um, but I think under the Western Michigan. Uh, system i think he's going uh to really be just in a better spot right because i think sometimes in north dakota uh especially when you spring on as a freshman there there's expectations there right and i think with this i don't think he has to be the guy i think he can relax uh play his game and i think the points will follow and he's got the tools to be able to do it so to me um that is going to be their big transfer coming in also let's not forget joe cassetti uh, yeah. this sound familiar. Also an NCHC transfer coming out of Miami, right? Uh, three seasons there, so he's going to be a senior, right? Um, how about this? Um, in 70 games, 31 points, 18 goals. So more of a depth player, but again, the upper class status, right? When you got a veteran that's coming in, knows the conference, knows the type of style that's going to be played and what he's going to be facing. And I think this is a really smart add um, on the forward side for Western Michigan, who really does pride themselves on having more two-way players in their system than, shall we say, specialist who you know can maybe just put the puck on the net, be a distributor, or maybe be just that defensive shutdown forward, right? I think he fits that mold almost perfectly. And then a couple of guys that will be a little bit more unfamiliar,
0: right? These are both coming from Hockey East. We'll start with Sam uh, uh, Colangelo. Um, Sam Sam Colangelo, great Northeastern guy. Obviously, 54 points in 72 contests. And, of course, I... He's a Anaheim Ducks draft pick as well. And a yep. uh, 2021 gold medalist for the world junior team is a lot of people will really remember him. So that's a great pickup for the Broncos. I like that addition. And like you mentioned, uh, also a BU pickup in Ethan Phillips, a bit more of a, a kind of a hard nose, heavy forward has just under 90 games and 38 points to his belt. Um, all regional team in the NCAA tournament last season had four points uh, in that regional, by the way. So uh, Sioux Falls stampede product in the USHL, Clark cup champion as well. So again, just a big body brings a lot of physicality. So again, this Broncos team, I think with this transfer group, Nick four guys that are really going to make an impact. I mean, this is like prototypical Bronco hockey transfer group. I mean, it's yep. just guys, good mix of speed and skill, physicality, hard-nosed players, a little bit of flashiness, you know, like uh, Constantini makes me think a little bit more skill-based as opposed to the true physicality. But nonetheless, I mean, this is Pat Firstweiler slash Andy Murray slash Jeff Blaschel slash Detroit Red Wings slash anything not Michigan Wolverines that I've ever seen. I mean, this Broncos right. mix is truly a Western Michigan group. It really is. Um, and we're going to see that more
1: with the freshman group. Uh, it, it almost echoes itself perfectly. Uh, let's get right into it, right? Yeah. So uh, let's start right at the top here. Is it Cole Krushberg Rosen? He's a defenseman coming
0: from the Lincoln Stars. Yeah, please um, please tell me we're going to call him CCR because that would be sick. I just – like we already know what his, his skate-out song has to be, right? I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. So
1: well, let's do that. CCR, um, 21 points, uh, 7 goals, 14 assists um with the lincoln stars um obviously added three more points in nine playoff games um also spent some time in the null with the minnesota wilderness uh, a couple of seasons ago where he collected 35 points uh to his name so uh, more of a i always say two-way defense but not necessarily the offensive type of things could be more of a stay-at-home guy uh but this another again western michigan style player yeah right More of that two-way guy, not really the high-end offensive defenseman, no more just pure shutdown guy, right? Um, That kind of continues with Jacob Napier coming in from the Fargo Force. Um, Fargo had a pretty good season last yeah, right? Um, How about this? Again, very similar, 22 points versus 21 and seven goals, 15 assists uh, for the Force last season. Also spent some time with Muskegon, um, earning 10 points a couple of seasons ago while skating in 58 games for them, respectively. So, again, two-way guy. Good defenseman,
0: some offense here, but more of that mix, right? Yeah, and that kind of rounds out the defensive group for the freshman incoming. And I think again, when we talk about Bronco hockey, again, they're not—they're kind of in in the same boat that St. Cloud is in, in some respects, where they're not getting these A plus, A minus players necessarily, but they're getting the best of the best for like these B plus players that have really good development potential, really good underlying possession numbers really good ability to do whatever it is they do well i think of both of these guys guys that good 200 foot players good shutdown defensemen that can add a point couple points here and there good middle pairing defensemen so to speak and i think both of these guys fit that mold very well very curious to see how they're going to develop uh you know in that system because i think that they just again everything i've seen through the first couple of guys that we've talked about we have Whatever it is, three forwards and a net miner to get to. But so far, I mean, this is like Pat Fershweiler system right to a T for all these selections.
1: So let's do the goaltender first. Uh, It's going to be Dustin Smith. He comes from uh, La Ice Wolves in the SJHL. Um, Yeah, about that, right? So (laughs) Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Um, How about this? A two-year stint with the Ice Wolves. uh, He earned more than 30 wins with the team. Uh, Best uh, season was last year, actually. He had a 1911-4 record, a 933 save percentage, and a 2.47% Goals against average uh, in the postseason also had strong play. He had a 919 save percentage with two wins and just a couple of postseason appearances. So uh, you talk about a guy that, um, again, save percentage is up there. Goals against is is good, right? And more so a couple 31 seasons. And I think you know, you're looking for a goaltender that's uh, a proven winner. He fits that
0: mold right there. Yeah, it certainly does. And obviously, again, the net mining statistic is really challenging. Um you know, to try to sort out necessarily. But I mean, at the same time, I mean, just numbers that really look great. I mean, nineteen eleven and four at two four seven. I mean nine nineteen, all numbers that are very serviceable. Um We've gone through the goaltending carousel with Western Michigan before. That's the one thing that that door has kind of been swinging around and rotating a little bit in terms of that. So, again, for them to get some some solid new blood, so to speak, in that net mining position and build for the future here again. Very curious to see how they manage that. Again, with Will Massey there, of course, as the volunteer assistant coach with the goaltenders, too. I'm curious to see how he kind of develops his first group starting to see maybe two, three, four years down the line to really see if that pays off and that pays dividends. Of course, the former former Bronco netminder kind of trying to do his due diligence uh, with the newest incoming player in Dawson Smith.
1: And now uh, the forward side, right? The guys will be tasked to put the puck in the net. Uh, First, Garrett Sedlowski, He's coming from the Wenatchee Wild in the BCHL. Um, Actually played four seasons total in junior hockey, splitting between the Null and the BC. Uh, Last two, though, with the Wenatchee Wild. Uh, 57 points, 24 goals, 33 assists in 86 games. That's a pretty decent spread. Um, But the big thing, added six points uh, over a couple of playoff games as well. So a good playoff performer as well. Um, In his career with the Null, he played. For the Maryland Black Bears, who uh, last couple seasons they've been pretty darn good. Uh, 39 points uh, in his career with their over 99 games played. So um, good producer there. And also, uh, I think the four years, Noah, in junior hockey, uh, you know, some players take one. Some players maybe get 10 games. Some get four years. And sometimes, and even Brett Larson with St. Cloud talked about it, where it says, you know, this kid almost is what we call a late bloomer. He almost spreads that to me, right? And sometimes these players are some of the best underlying pickups only because they're mature, right? Is that, you know, maybe they're not necessarily the best point producers, but they have a better hockey IQ. Their emotions, you know, are a little bit more, shall we say, mature in game situations. They're not going to get too high or too low on certain things. Uh,
0: So this is another, we talk
1: about Western Michigan, pro-typical player.
0: And you know what? It's very fitting that you mentioned that development path. By the way, the next one on our list, Ian Somoza, for those who remember that name well, don't forget brother Ethan right. plays for Bemidji. He's now in Greenville in the EC. Um, younger brother Evan plays in Odessa in the NA. by the he way. Yep. Um, but of course, Ian had that stint with Sioux Falls for basically a season and a half uh, where he, he didn't really – produce all that much only had 12 points in 44 contests for him so they sent him back to Wenatchee for the rest of the season and then last year as well 53 and 70 points respectively in just over 100 games across two seasons so again kind of finding his groove getting his confidence back very productive seasons and there's a guy who kind of got a shot at the higher level didn't exactly you know wow anybody with it they sent him back over to the bc and he's really produced and he's earned that opportunity and i'm very curious to see how he's able to run with that because um i, I love the opening line i uh, had an electric career in the bchl and absolutely i mean he transitioned back down and just needed that confidence boost hey if you're a minnesota wild fan and you're talking about marco rossi for example you ever yeah. you ever hope you ever hope that this might be the end up story for him by the way again similar path where Just him stepping down maybe will make him more prepared to enter his freshman season. He'll be an interesting mix. And by the way, he's wearing one of the best numbers that you could ever wear, number 26. Of course, that was my childhood number. So how could you not be good at hockey? I mean, let's be real. Well, and again, you know,
1: sometimes, like you said, it boils down to just confidence one and maybe also just maybe opportunity comes with that too right Um, and junior hockey can be uh, can be challenging both mentally and physically right again we talked how uh, with Sidlowski sometimes it is just that your game just takes a little bit longer to develop um, and and sometimes it's just a confidence piece and uh, really showing the past couple of seasons that um, he has progressed in his development right Um, another guy that's similar to this and this rounds out their incoming freshman class is Owen Michaels uh, coming from Dubuque Fighting Saints. Um, so we split some time between both the USHL and the Null. Um, So last year with Dubuque, he was able to collect 26 points, 15 of those being goals. And then also, this is a big one. How about this? Eight points in five postseason games, right? So you talk about um, the meaningful games. Sometimes you want players that really shine when it's the most stressful situations. And yeah, eight points in five games, that's pretty good, right? Um, two years with the Bismarck Bobcats, he collected 53 points over the course of uh, his two seasons with the Bobcats there. So again, you are talking about spending time at different levels, but also having success at both levels there, Noah.
0: Yeah, I got a chance to watch him play. Obviously, thirty-two points, his second season with the Cats, and um, you know, <laughs> penalty minutes notwithstanding, definitely was not a not afraid to shy away from the physicality. Very much a blue-collar player. Very much a player that will fit into the middle six, maybe maybe bottom six, depending on where he jumps in for the start of his freshman year, at least very willing to go to the front of the net, be in the blue paint, be in the corners, gritty areas around the ice. That was always his game. And I think that, um, again, as you talked about, all of these players – um, regardless of their trajectories have been comfortable being the guy that hasn't been the guy on their team necessarily. And they're comfortable being a part of a team system. So that's where this Bronco team could very easily finish in the same spot where they were last season, bringing these guys in. The question is how are they going to adjust this team? Of course, didn't lose a ton. They have to now assimilate their freshmen. They have to make sure their goaltending obviously is squared away too. But um. Yeah, I I love all these picks. I I think that as far as the incoming class and the transfers, you want to talk about players that fit a mold and a style. A couple weeks ago, we talked about North Dakota and the challenges that they're having with a mixed bag, so to speak. This bag was handpicked, signed, sealed, and delivered, and it says property of Pat Fershweiler because this is very much Western Michigan Bronco hockey as far as the players that are coming in. Is that kind of how you see it, Nick? 100% 100%
1: because, you know, it, I'm going to kind of jump right into it because you mentioned it. They're not missing a lot or not losing a lot, but the pieces that they are losing are are actually quite significant, right? So if we go through yeah. the list here, um, one Ryan McAllister, he's gone, right? Going uh, over to Pro. Um, another name that they're losing that I don't think skated... Uh, a, a, a game as Theo through him. Uh, but uh, going down the list here, right? So uh, Cole Gallant is also going to be off to the races. So he yep. uh, is done. Jason Paul, and we talked about him. That's a very, again, that's 30 goals that you're missing uh, from him. Um, you're also going to be missing a guy with a name. Uh, is no G-
0: Yeah. Jamie Rome. That's right. Jamie Rome is yeah, also gra- graduate forward last season. And I think the challenge for this Western Michigan roster too, by the way, uh, is a lot of their exits too were like pro signings. And we've seen that with Western Michigan. We saw that the year prior with like Ethan Frank, for example, is guys who hung on for that fourth or fifth year and had a couple of Western Michigan's had a couple of really good runs before they've offloaded guys that have played pro and then they're losing a couple of guys and then uh, Barrett Brooks uh, again also leaving uh then you're yeah. missing
1: uh I believe Yep Jack Purbich. we talked about him before Aiden Fulp that's a big one in the back end um you know as far as uh, uh his presence you know wasn't this you know definitely two way, but also had a a more of a breakout offensive year, his senior season. So he'll be
0: missed, especially back end. Well, well, like, well, like I said, I mean, they're just, they're missing all of these guys that are suddenly turning pro here. And they kind of have a similar problem to what St. Cloud does where they do such a good job developing these guys. And then they end up losing them after their fourth or fifth years, because they have guys hang around, um, you know, or in normal years, their third or fourth years, they hang around, finish that development process, and then they make the jump after making a run with their core group. I expect a similar process with the incoming freshman group that's coming in, the six guys here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just trying to supplement that, I think, is Western Michigan's biggest challenge is a lot of their guys, they don't leave for other schools. It's because they're leaving to finally turn pro after the great development process the Broncos have had. Right, and then the last few we talked about Max Sazon again another pro signing,
1: right? So um, not a ton of names, honestly, uh, but again they're impactful ones. And so, uh, but when you look at the guys coming in, both transfers and freshmen, we talked about this. This is, as you mentioned, a Pat First Wilder full group, and I believe this will be his third full season behind uh, the bench as a head as a full time head coach. So um, at the end of the day. Um, Again, as I mentioned this before at the top, I think for Western Michigan, they're going to have to approach this season as a collective, right? You're not going to have the standout guys, at least that we know of, right? We could be surprised. But typically, Western Michigan, minus Jason Poland, uh last year, has never had the big name that's you know going to draw eyes in terms of offense, right? They're going to be more back to, I think, a blue-collar style. Uh, but it looks like they got the names to do it. And if they do do that, I think, you know, especially the NCHC, you're going to give a lot of teams fits. You really, really are. So that's where I see them headed. I like the group. Yes, it's going to be tough with some of those key guys that have left to either bigger or better things. And again, Perbix going over to the transfer portal. But largely, it's an intact group. And it's going to be a group that I think under Patch Verschweiler, again,
0: for the third season, uh, you're going to see uh, another step towards the team that he's wanting to mold. I really do. Yeah. Getting a chance, obviously to kind of get that bonding here. Now we're four weeks away from the start of the women's season and about six Crazy. away from, from the men's side here now too. So <clears throat> it's going to be exciting to see how these groups kind of mesh your neck. Um, and again, talking about, I guess to flip the question on you Season outlook for this Broncos team as they navigate this new trajectory here. Obviously have a chance, I would say, at minimum for home ice in the NCHC, if not better here, Nick. I mean, we're going to go through their schedule in a second. I guess maybe we'll start there and then just kind of see. Yeah, uh,
1: starting off with a couple um, on the road, actually. Um, They got an exhibition against the U.S. um, under-18 team and then a home a home with Ferris State uh, and then a home a home with Bowling Green to kind of get them going. And then... It's right into the NCHC schedule, which um, is not easy right away. Um going to be going um, on the road to face uh, the Mavericks of Omaha and then at home, St. Cloud State. Now, for Huskies fans, this has been essentially uh, that one arena that just has
0: given the Huskies fits over the years. And it's, uh, and it's always been early in November, too. It's always yeah. been a killer if this Huskies team is not ready to go. Yes, huge. Uh,
1: and then they go to Colorado College. And then for a sort of a non-conference, um, shall we say, a holiday, they got St. Lawrence at, at home that uh, they're going to be welcoming as part of their non-conference schedule. Um, and then they don't uh, – they. Then have another non conference opponent, I should say, with Lindenwood. And then before finally finishing off the first half unofficially against Denver, also at home. So uh, a pretty heavy home schedule. Yeah. Out uh, the Thanksgiving before the holiday break. Um, But nonetheless, uh, there's a favorable schedule there, Noah. Yeah. Break it down.
0: Yeah, and you round out the calendar year on the 30th of December with an exhibition game against Western Ontario at home. So theoretically, I mean, you've got seven games uh, in a nice little home swing to finish out the calendar year of 2023, Nick. Um, And four non-conference games and an exhibition game and a chance to kind of... Uh, do some damage so to speak build some confidence obviously you can't drop those games against st lawrence i would say for sure so um that's going to be a good litmus test to see how western maybe handles a challenge that's outside of the nchc and then they um bit of a, a tough matchup to finish out the first half of the season against denver by the way thank goodness it's at home but that pioneers group will be a will be a good test and also Uh, The test at the beginning of December against Lindenwood, not the last time they end up seeing the Lions. No, and that's what's Mm kind of cool here is that
1: you have uh, a non-conference opponent Mm -hmm. that they've seen four times, right? So um, now before the turn of the calendar year, they will be hosting Western Ontario as an exhibition game. And then, as you mentioned, on the road to St. Charles, Missouri to take on Lindenwood in their home rink. So uh, that's kind of cool. We don't normally see in uh, non-conferences, you see like a uh, home-and-home four-game series of that. So that's kind of unique twist for the Broncos schedule, uh, but then they continue on the road. They're at uh, Oxford to face the uh, Red Hawks for Miami. Then another home stretch. They'll be hosting the Bulldogs, then the Tigers of Colorado College before they go back to Colorado to face the Denver Pioneers. At home to face uh, Omaha on the road to St. Cloud. So they do get four opportunities the Huskies do to try to take down the Broncos, but then it gets a little bit tougher. They go back on the road to face North Dakota and Grand Forks before finishing the regular season at home against Miami. So a bit of a tough stretch there um, after a, a little bit more of a favorable first half. Noah so uh, again for a, a team that is going to be sort of a, a win by committee team. If you can get that committee all on the same page uh, during the first half and you got some confidence building, uh, you should be ready for a, a, what looks to be a pretty difficult second half, but still not a bad schedule.
0: Yeah, four of your last six and six of your last ten on the road. Obviously, St. Cloud and North Dakota, four-game road stand, two tough buildings to play in, obviously. Uh, I believe it's North Dakota and Duluth are the only single-time opponents for NCHC matchups in January and March, respectively, for this club. Everybody else, they will see twice, like you mentioned, including the Huskies. But, uh, yeah, do you think uh, when they play Colorado College at the end of January and then head to Denver the following weekend, you think they just jump on the bus bus and just practice at at ropes until they – jaunt on over to magnus i don't know um but yeah no definitely a very challenging schedule for them obviously i like the lindenwood matchup the the home and home so to speak is really cool as far as non-conference is concerned i love that that's awesome um similar colors ish similar styles i guess the the kind of cream and tan versus the true you know brown and white so to speak um yeah Although that just kind of sounds like me after a bad day at Taco Bell. But nonetheless, uh, very, very, very um, exciting schedule for the Broncos, by the way. Uh, you know, jokes notwithstanding is that they have a chance to the really. Nacho so Grande. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they do have a chance to make some noise here in the NCHC, And that's the most important part is uh, that this Broncos team is you know, ready to go from the get go, because if they can get those freshmen up to speed, the transfers feel really comfortable. Again, it's the same conversation we've been having, but again, fourth could be, um, you know, we have them picked at fourth, which would not be a bad season. um, But at the same time, this team has aspirations and potential to be much higher than that. If they can put all the things together, Nick, what do you kind of see for their season outlook as, as they go through this schedule?
1: Um, You know, especially early on, I think they do have a favorable way to kind of get everybody on the same page. Right. Because one of the challenges that a team that's built like Western Michigan is, you know, you're not going to have that per se go to guy that maybe is going to be able to take over a hockey game and and get you that goal to either uh, get you ahead or maybe tie things up. Uh, this team is going to literally have to rely on all of their 12 forwards to kind of carry the mail. Right. And so when you have a lot of freshmen, when you've got some transfers coming in that are going to have to pick up on things to get under the first while system. Um, again, that that can take time, you know, at, uh, during the process. And the other thing, um, how about this? The blue collar style. Right. You kind of wonder when you go, especially with some of these other kids that we talked about with high point outputs, You know, if they're not scoring or if they're in a different role than they you know, are used to, say, in junior hockey, how do they make that transition, right? So um, to me, I, I, I still feel like they're going to be closer to that four, maybe even five spot. Um, it's just hard for me to pick up on them. But at the same time, if they gel together quick and if they can come at you in the ways like we've seen them in the past couple of years... Uh, look out! right? Um, the big weak spot for them is sometimes they get a little bit, shall we say, too antsy with it. They can get themselves yeah. some, uh, some penalty trouble. And as we saw with their penalty kill numbers, there's some opportunities for their opponents to take advantage of them. And that's where we saw this in, against Colorado College, right? Where maybe the emotions kind of got away from them a bit, kind of got away from their structure and their game plan. And it, it was kind of just more of an inflict some pain type of mentality instead of trying to get back to what made them successful. So that's the challenge for them is can they, is it, or I shouldn't say can they, but is there going to be someone that does rise to the occasion, right? Like a Jason Pollan. Again, we talked about Costantini from North Dakota. He's sort of my sleeper pick, kind of be a resurgent of his offensive game, right? Um, you got some others that are sticking around that could easily be in that same spot too. But um, at the end of that, I see them as a middle of the pack team that could go up or down from where they are at, but I don't think it'll be much. I think they will sit somewhere between five and three. um, And if things go really well for them, maybe top two.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And obviously St. Cloud is going to have to handle them four times here, Nick. Just want to let you know, by the way, in case you didn't, uh, hint, hint, the Husky Squirming House podcast is brought to you by the Soda Pod. Uh, stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey, as well as CentericeView.com and Huskies Illustrated, your home for all things St. Cloud hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies as they do take on the Broncos. I know quite a few Huskies fans that like to make that trip out to Kalamazoo early on in the month of November. That'll be a big challenge here, Nick. I tell you what, and then a matchup in the second half of the season, this Huskies team historically has had trouble with this Broncos group and actually a little bit more at home in recent years, depending on the year, actually, at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Nick, first of all, I guess in my mind, you've got to match that blue-collar style pound for pound, literally and figuratively. I mean, you have to be able to get gritty, in the corners, in the blue paint, you have to be willing to, you know, engage in the physical battles here and you have to win pucks along the half wall, especially in your defensive zone. Pucks have to be getting out of the zone, make these defensemen turn your feet, use the speed and skill that St. Cloud has, you know, I, I would say, I guess, depending on the freshman, regardless, uh, my guess would be that St. Cloud might be the slightly faster team, a little more water bug, type team in terms of what they bring to the table. Use that to your advantage, more quick strike on the rush offense. But I mean, it's going to be a heavy hard nose matchup, especially in Kalamazoo old building has a little bit of quirks to it. The loss of lunatics are in full throat. I mean, you've got to find a way to, to, to win that battle, so to speak can't turn it into a special teams matchup either as much as Western Michigan was kind of hit or miss on the penalty kill. They were great on the power play. And anytime you're turning into a special teams battle that you're losing, so to speak, it means you're chasing the game and you don't want to do that against a team that makes it difficult to get to the middle of the ice. What do you see in this matchup for the Broncos here as they take on the Huskies for four matchups? We only saw them, I believe, twice last season. So we get to see them for all four this year.
1: Right, only two times last year. Back to four, right? Uh, series, both home and away. Um, what's the dynamic with a essentially a, a like a you know a blue collar team? Right, is that they're, they have one thing in mind most of the time? That's finish check, right? Well, when you do that. That means there's open space somewhere, right? That also means that in the defensive zone, you talk about winning board battles, right? That also means puck management, but more importantly, puck support is paramount, right? That means that you really do have to be able to read the play and be able to be in the right spot when you're the player without the puck, right? Because sometimes you can win a board battle, look around, and if you're not in the right spot and support isn't there, puck's going back through the way. You can get that puck right back. So to me, being in the right spots defensively, low and slow center, and more so just better puck decisions, right? Sometimes if you know the hit's coming, there's not an outlet there. It's never a bad idea. Sometimes just to float that puck up high, get it off the glass, get it out to center ice where then you can re-engage in a battle and try to get the puck back in a non-dangerous area and at least force him to recoil and regroup, right? Sometimes one of the things about Western Michigan, what they do is, you know, You know the hit's coming, but sometimes you just react or sometimes you just don't think about that next step. So to me, against Western Michigan and their style, especially as as a Husky defenseman, you always have to be looking for over your shoulder, especially if you're coming into your own zone and retrieving the puck. Where is that first option, right? If it isn't there... Yeah. That second option also isn't there. Make sure you make the smart play, whether it's to maybe use the net behind as a pick or maybe just skate the puck around. This is a great learning experience for a guy like Jack Peer, who really had an outbreak uh, two games last year in the playoffs a lot more using his feet to get out of his own zone. You may have to do that. Maybe they take away both of the, uh, both of the wingers and the center, right? So sometimes just carrying the puck out. And like we said, if there's still nothing there, just flip it out and go live another day um, and see if you can't force them to make a mistake. So to me, management, support or your own big things in the defensive zone and then offensively same thing as we talk about with husky's hockey get in on the hard four check and almost replicate what they do but you know get puck possession, right if you're a hard hitting team if you're the one that's doing the hitting you're hit the hammer opposed to the nail um that's gonna force the players to maybe sort of think differently because at the end of the day they may not have the energy to impose you on that blue Kyle style. So maybe wear them out that way. That's how I believe, if you're St. Cloud, you can sort
0: of thwart the Western uh, Michigan offensive
1: of, uh, firepower as well as their physicality.
0: Yeah, and have to be willing to test those goaltenders. Freshman netminder Kirk Larson only saw three games last year. The junior Cam Rowe, who will be a senior this season, 22-14-1, had a 2.5 GAA and a 9.06. So decent numbers, but definitely still you know, able to be beat if you can find a way into the middle areas of the ice. So obviously, it will be very exciting. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den.
1: Come in, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies! Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win Now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.